everyone. It's Helen Joy Butler here and welcome to this special episode of the Trust and Transform podcast. I'm so excited today to bring to you my beautiful friend, Susan Pierce, whose fourth book, Spiritually Loose, has literally just landed on the bookshelves this week. So by all outward appearances, Susan's life was pretty perfect, but then she experienced a quarter-life crisis. So upturning her beautiful, successful and safe existence made absolutely no sense to anyone, including Susan, but she could no longer ignore the quiet voice within that said, there's more than this. So she set off on a search to replace the soul-destroying tightness of expectation, obligation and routine with the soul-stirring wholeness of connection, meaning and possibility. She spent two decades healer hunting and guru shopping and sometimes chaotic and always confronting journey that only makes sense looking backwards. In her book, Susan talks all about her journey around the world. She's been to rave parties in Ibiza, jazz bars in New York, lectures on quantum physics in Italy, classes on philosophy in Australia, traditional hula dancing in Hawaii and qualifying as a kundalini yoga teacher in Spain. And instead of finding answers, she found rules. And instead of finding joy, she found judgment. Once Susan stopped looking outside and listening to the gurus, she realised there was a voice inside her, present from childhood, whispering quiet messages of love, acceptance and joy. I was so blessed to receive an advanced copy and it's definitely worth taking the time to settle in with these wise words that Susan shares in her book. If you are watching this on YouTube, we had a problem with the video. So Susan's face is on the entire video, which is lovely because you'll be able to get to connect with her vibration. So here she is, my beautiful friend, Susan Pierce talking about her new book, Spiritually Loose. Hi, Susan. Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for being here. It's so beautiful to connect with you. Even though we both live in Brisbane, we're Hi. on opposite sides of the river. So thank you I'm for sparing excited. time. Yeah, no, it's great. It's um, as you know, my first podcast interview around this book. So I'm pretty excited to be doing that with you. And, um, yeah, no, so it's awesome. So tell us about the word spiritually loose. Mm. So where? So let me backtrack a little bit. Susan's beautiful new book came out on August the 2nd, or should I say is coming out on August the 2nd because we're having this conversation before then, um, but this episode will land after then. So it's called Spiritually Loose. So tell us, I think the best spot to start is what does that mean? Yes, and I think um, I can probably talk about this book was originally almost two different books that actually came together. So Spiritually Loose, the word, the title came to me probably about five years ago. I remember the exact moment I was sitting in Melbourne at a cafe just doing some kind of writing, see what would come through, and I think um, it was in response to both myself, but, you know, even if we look at what's come out of the census recently, less and less people are associating with being religious. And I find that fascinating 
in times where more and more people are seeking connection, are seeking community, are seeking meaning. And I was kind of looking at the different things I've explored before from being raised as a Catholic to having a little brief foray into Buddhism and then pretty much anything that was available on the planet. And I was looking at what always deterred me and it was the tightness and it was the lack of joy and it was the fact that there didn't seem to be any room to bring in, yeah, all those concepts and pleasure. And I just, you know, always toyed with this idea, wouldn't it be great to have a religion that actually was based on joy, it was based on acceptance, it was based on connection, it featured women, it had wild stuff, it was full of pleasure, all of those things. So spiritually loose is really about your religion that brings you divinity, that brings you your own divinity. And I think what happened sort of a little bit after that, um, I think my daughter was maybe about 13, 12 at the time, and I started to see her struggling with things that I think, you know, a lot of us struggled with growing up. And certainly I could relate to a lot of her mental and emotional struggles being the exact same as mine. And, um, you know, I was reflecting on that research that, you know, we carry seven generations of trauma within our DNA, yet how often does a mother actually sit down with her daughter and take her through a life's journey? So Spiritually Loose ended up becoming the book that's a story about my path to finding my own divinity. So, yeah, warts and all kind of account of everything I struggled with, where I went off the rails and how I came back to the place of defining my own religion rule set by me. Mm, I just love that. And what an absolute honour for your daughter to receive that as a gift because, as you said, you know, seven generations in our DNA. But at the same time, not many of us or not many women that I know have had the pleasure of being able to sit with their mum and experience that journey. And having read the book, like I devoured the book in one day and it's very rare for me to do that. But to be able to sit and do that with your book, beautiful friend of mine's book, and to experience the... Um, I, I know when I replied to you, I said it was like a crescendo for me. It's a bit like an opera and a crescendo. So it was. It started off with these stories and then it started getting richer and deeper and more powerful. And by the end of it, I just, my heart was burst open, which is I think perhaps part of the journey of the book. I yeah. hope for every reader and I hope that that's something that yeah. you receive because um For me, it was a way of saying, I, Helen, can look at all of those things in my life, all the good things, all the bad things, all the things that have knocked me off path, all the things where I've felt less than or judged for and go, it doesn't matter because I can do it however the hell I want to do it. And the way I do it is good for me. It doesn't have to be perfect for anybody else. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Helen, both you and I and I reckon most people listening to this are not new to that idea of falling into that trap I guess that we need to fix ourselves and you know the book starts with all of the um, ways I looked for the answers out there that if there was a fad going if there was you know a personality test that I could do if there was some new age 
thing, I was onto it thinking, you know, I wanted to find the answers that connected me in here, but I was looking in all the wrong places, which was out there. So um, I think, you know, even just this notion to give up that fixing and actually realise that everything we have is perfect. Totally. Do you remember sitting at New Farm Park and having a conversation? I can't even remember when that was. Time has been weird, hasn't it? Um, But Susan and I were sitting at New Farm Park in Brisbane and I remember just sharing a little bit of my journey and then introducing this term healer hunter to you and you were like, oh, my gosh, I think we both had the same download (laughs) around the same time. Yeah, it was so funny because I've shared Hill Hunter a little bit on um, the previous season of uh, the podcast. So we'll let people go back and explore that there. But what I'm hearing is that, you know, it was easier, I think, for a lot of us to um, externalize someone else healing us than us taking ownership of that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're lost, which essentially, you know, that tends to be the time that we, you know, turn to spirituality or look for meaning and connection. When you're lost, you just want to hold on to anything that's going to give you some certainty and stability. And I think there's nothing worse for the brain than feeling that level of uncertainty, like you are spinning in the chaos that you are living in. And I think that's often why we go to the things that are the five-step process for $199 or, you know, that program must know the answers because there's a really beautiful brochure or, a, you know, a great website. And I'm not saying don't do any of those things, but I think we automatically think someone knows the answer and, yeah, they do know the answer for themselves. But what I've come to really appreciate as well is that we all have a completely different and unique path. And so we can draw on lessons from other people. And I I mean, I still do that. But what has worked for someone isn't going to work for us. And so it's really about, you know, every single person finding their place of connection, their place of spirituality, whatever it might be. And then us all coming together in a beautiful kaleidoscope of difference. And this is the thing too. I think early on I was very interested in religions and I actually went through and mapped all religions and what were the commonalities amongst them? Because, again, I think it's a space where we're focusing on difference and I'd love to see a world where we're embracing the difference and we are all bringing our own brand of that. Yeah, beautiful. So, so beautiful. It makes me think that it's more important to consciously curate our learnings once because I think we all have to do a bit of the you know, external, the hunting, all that kind of stuff, until we somehow hit whatever the thing is where eventually we go, this is ridiculous. Now I need to consciously curate whatever it is, wherever I want to spend my time, whatever my learnings are, Um, even that stuff that we've already got internally, that knowledge we've got, pulling that apart and going, this bit works for us or this bit doesn't. And so creating our our own religion. Yeah, completely agree. And this is the thing I'm not saying, don't listen to any external gurus, but just never lose sight of the real gurus actually inside of you. And you're the only person who can design that. But I use all those external things in the exact way that you're talking about. I almost um, use them to see if there's any resonance in here. So it's like I might experience something and you know straight away if your heart's just like, hell yes, that's a path I need to jump on or if it's just like, no, 
stay away from that. But what it means is that you set up the most important dialogue to be in here, not to be out there with the gurus, which means I may adopt this type of morning routine at the moment, but as soon as in here is saying actually drop everything at the moment or do this thing over there, that's the voice I'm listening to, not the voice of the shoulds. Mm. And I feel like we need to drop this idea of a guru. Um, it could, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the latest Oprah book club yeah. person or, um, I don't know, Eckhart Tolle or any of those. This could be your partner. This could be your yes. parent or this or, or child who is saying it has to be this way and therefore you take that on. So true. And this is the thing that I think, you know, a lot of us, grow up with society expectations and get to a point I know for me it was a quarter-life crisis I believe for everyone it's going to happen at some time but you know we grow up with the external expectations society parents peer groups um, whatever it might be usually then get to a point where we're like how did we even get here who am I and what do I even want anymore and mind you that cycle continues over and over in our lives (laughs) as we know um but yeah so I think you know just I think it can be a revelation for people the first time they realize that they actually have permission to do things any way they want and that they can unhook from the criticism the judgment the views of other people and just know again that the the most important view is the view that's held in here yes and that you can stand strongly powerfully beautifully in whatever that view is yeah. Right. I, I went through, as you know, I went through, um, read the book in, you know, inhaled the book and yeah. I pulled out a couple of really beautiful quotes. And I think there's one here that might be really a, a nice kind of segue into this. Yeah. So this one, this quote says, my inner voice is rarely aligned with popular opinion. Following it requires bravery and a big leap of faith. Now, to me, there's kind of two aspects to that popular opinion, <laughs> which, you know, we can yep. get stuck on that loop. But yep. also this concept of bravery and a big leap of faith. Now, obviously, yep. we're on the Trust and Transform podcast and that relates to trust takes bravery, right, sure. and, and bravery takes trust. So what can we do? Like what was there one particular thing? I know your beautiful book shares all these different um, parts of your story, but do you think there was really you said quarter life crisis, but was there a certain thing or was there one big explosion where you think I've just can't be here anymore. I'm totally stuck. I really have to step out and be brave. Yeah. I think um, started with the quarter life crisis, which I say is the moment that I woke up, but I think it's been happening to me probably every 10 years, 10 or 11 years since um, then. And what I describe it as now, but I didn't know what it was, back then, it's like your soul's voice going, you're off track here. And that can be sent to you. Like I remember when I had my quarter life crisis, I just had this voice in my ear all the time that was kind of like, this is not enough. Like this is not enough for you. And it wasn't, this is enough wealth. It wasn't, this isn't enough job. I gave all those things up, but it was like, it's not enough for you. And then um, there's other ways that the soul sort of speaks to you. Sometimes it's pulling you into a really dark emotional state. Um, You know, we often have these moments of sadness and we think that they are something to be fixed, but 
they're actually a signal that there's something to be looked at here. And again, you know, it's things like that, that tends to get me on my um, next path. And I would say we all have those things all the time, you know, just the gut feel that something's not right. Like, you know, everyone uses that thing of like, it just didn't feel right. Um, and there's never been a time where someone says, you know, it didn't feel right, but I did it anyway. And I'm really glad I did. It's always something didn't feel right. And yeah, I, I followed that intuition. I'm so glad I did. So I think, you know, the first step for people is to follow those little parts, but that can be more complex than you think, because the first thing you've got to do is differentiate between the voice of the soul, or I'm going to just call it intuition or gut feel, um, use a few things interchangeably, and just the voice of fear. And I was going to say that the reason that, you know, my internal voice is usually the complete opposite of popular opinion is because a lot of popular opinion is actually based on fear and is based on separation and is based on um, ego, whether that is someone saying, you know, you can't have your own business unless you work 20 hours a day or other people that are saying stay away from everyone who hasn't been vaccinated. Whatever the, the thing is, it tends to be based on a collective, first an individual and then a collective fear. That voice of intuition really comes from a place of love and clarity and you always know the difference because, and I've had the other voice, the fear voice happening in the last few weeks, it's an overthinker. It's a one day thinking this, the next day thinking that being really caught up in your head, going round and round in circles, that is not your intuition. Um, but I think we've all had those times where we just get the, and it could be a lump in the throat, it could be some words, it could be some signs that we see, but, you know, the most important thing we can do in life is act really, really quickly when we get that nudge because I think, you know, we all know if you ignore it, it's going to come back louder and louder and louder and, you know, you see people who are then struggling through divorce or loss of job or whatever else it might be. You always end up getting your assignment that's going to, you know, get your soul to tip you back on the path. Yeah, it's kind of like listening to the little whispers before they become big yells and screams that knock you off course. Yeah. It's, um, it's a lot easier to take steps when you're hearing the whispers because in a lot of ways you can do it in your own time um, when the big voice comes and this is where I guess you know in some ways the, the whole bravery thing I do agree it's very brave to um, follow these things but if you wait for the really loud parts of it it could be a health crisis whatever else it is bravery is no longer really even a consideration because you are catapulted into really having to re-examine your life and do something different and it's that, um, yeah, but that bravery to do that because not everyone still does that. You know, you hear of people who have had a relationship breakdown break and, you know, divorce, um, for example, who are so bitter and speaking so awfully about the person and it's sort of like, oh, did you just split up recently? No, no, this is 20 years ago. So even when people do get their, you know, call to love or whatever it might be, they can still kind of stay very stuck in their ways. So, yeah, it, it, it takes bravery. It takes a leap. It takes... Yeah, you hearing this, this is not enough, but not getting the five-step process with it. That's the, that's the reason it needs bravery. Yeah, because you're being invited to look into yourself for the five steps, two steps, 20 steps, whatever it takes, not what somebody else has prescribed that is, you know, the right thing for yeah. you. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, that's the thing. The most terrifying thing we can do is look into ourselves. The most scary thing is to be able to meet ourselves in all the dark places as well as the light places. And I think, you know, there's different parts on my um, trip, on my spiritual loose um, highway, where I was doing more just the light stuff. It was like, do this meditation and just plonk it on top of all of the other neuroses you've got going on in your body. Or, um, you know, you might practice these things, but you're not really digging into those dark things that we kind of know exist within ourselves. And that can only get you so far. Yeah, because we've been taught for so many years just to shove those things down, to not go near them. And I want to touch on this idea of signs or you know, whether it's the niggly feeling or whether it's in the gut or in our heart or in our throat or whatever. But I've literally just done a podcast episode. It was the one before this one and I was talking about dreams um, and the messaging that this particular dream always happens for me when shift, change, transformation is happening. And it took me ages to actually, this is years ago, it took me ages to go, what's this dream all about? Like, what's it here? It it was energetically was the same theme. The storyline through the dream was different, but energetically the story was the same. And once I worked out what that was, ever since, you know, when it reappears, it makes it so much easier to go, okay, that's what's happening. Now I need to pivot or now I need to shift and change. So I think it's a really interesting self-awareness tool once you start to become aware of whatever those signs are and do it as quickly as you can yeah and I think you know just working with that subconscious whether it's through dreams or whether it's through kundalini yoga or whatever your thing might be is really important because a lot of these things they're not in our awareness as you say they're pushed down so far some of them come from previous generations or if you believe in past lives or whatever else it might be um so, you know, it really is important to engage with your subconscious and I the same, I always say I do my best work in my sleep. I have recurring dreams that again, it's just like, hello, we're here again. Let's, let's move through it. Let's get the happy ending with this one. <laughs> <laughs> and let's get through it to the other side as quickly as, and painful, painlessly yeah. as possible. Yeah. So Which is half it, the problem, isn't it? Like, it is half the problem. The fact that we avoid pain and pain pain's an awful thing it's like there's nothing worse than sitting with grief and sadness and pain and all of those things and so I think you know for a lot of us and certainly me in the earlier part of Susan um I just used to numb out so you know the whole thing of you're upset your best girlfriend brings a liter of an ice cream with a <laughs> wine and cigarettes I'm not sure but um you know like we we just turn to numbing out either with substances or numbing out by jumping into a new relationship or by going out more or by working 20 hours a day whatever else it might be to avoid that pain but unfortunately the only way to the other side is to go through that pain and so you know this ability to just be able to sit with this discomfort I think is a skill for all of us in trying to transcend ourselves mm. and a beautiful witnessing to our children on how we can do it differently pre- to previous generations yeah 
I loved the fact that in your book you mentioned that Susan means joy mm. and, of course, you know, hell and joy. I, was, I, you know, know. I just thought that was just so beautiful. And so one of the quotes that I pulled out, which sits beautifully with that, is the notion is simple. I need to discover the things I love and then do the things I love. I need to quit postponing them to another time and let joy be my compass. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, that is that um, before I was talking about the deferment of pain, but I think we equally defer joy. It's kind of like on Monday, longing for the Friday, on um, Sunday, dreading the Monday. Um, You know that whole saying that people say, book a holiday and then you'll have something to look forward to that we are often just deferring joy to another time yet what we need to do is bring it in to every part of our day because joy is really an elevator I was calling it an elevator because I was talking (laughs) about how um, when you are in that state of joy it's like you are elevated and you are lifted to what I would say are high-end opportunities like so many times, you know, people will say, oh, you achieved that. That must have been really hard work. And I'm like, no, it was actually joy that was the common element here when I was really just um, joyful, focusing on those things and doing the things that I love. Because, yeah, I think too much we put them off and I, I kind of really prioritise those to be the first things. And there's, you know, there's days and I would have to say I'm not perfect yesterday for example, um, decided to just like knew I was in a negative bit of a heartbroken mood and just decided to take that into my day. Yeah. You can imagine how that turned out. Um, but most days I will actually catch myself, put myself on my yoga mat and do a whole range of activities that really ensure that I'm not starting my day until I've actually filled myself with joy and it is a completely different day to when I unconsciously just stumble into it. Mm. So why don't we trust ourselves enough to focus on the joy versus focusing on the fear or the sadness or the heaviness or the, is it just easier? I know that you have such knowledge around neuroplasticity and brain wiring and stuff. Yeah. I think think it is a lot of that, um, a few things. So I think it is neuroscience. It's a bit of brain stuff that just you know the reason we we've got brains is to basically detect threat as the number one job reward comes later on so the brain's always going to be scanning and it's doing this every six to ten seconds for what can go wrong here um where am i exposed where am i going to be vulnerable in a bad way um where am i at threat and so i think again um it takes a a mind training exercise to actually help you focus on joy because if you leave your brain to its own devices, it's going to pick up all the bad stuff. Um, It takes three positives to even neutralise one negative. So that's how, you know, serious that bias is in the brain. And when I first started playing with this joy concept, I started this joy experiment where it had three rules in it and it's all in the book, but... um, It really just made me do something every day that prioritised joy because I think you really do need to put some structure in place until that becomes second nature. 
Yeah, it's really like I have to diarise my fun in my diary so that I have fun. So now I'm going to diarise joy as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I think that's great because why why wouldn't we? But maybe it's interesting because I, you know, my birth certificate literally has the name Joy in as my middle name. And it was a name, a word I never really liked. I always felt a bit embarrassed, I suppose, by it. Maybe... I don't know why. It wasn't a family name, but anyway, it just landed in my name and I found it hard. Uh, but the more that I stepped into the vibration of that, the more it became part of me. And I kind of, I think that's what I'm hearing from you as well. The more yeah. we step into that, the more it becomes part of us and the more we go looking for it perhaps as yeah. well in our lives. And, you know, there's a couple of things on top of that to actually trust that we deserve it. Like joy is a birthright. We didn't come here to struggle all the time. We came here to have a full human experience and, you know, to taste all the shades of life. So at the, you know, very sort of bottom level, it's like give yourself permission to feel joyful because I think, again, there's been so much conditioning from the earliest of ages that if you um embrace pleasure joy happiness it's unsafe you know there's something that's going to happen if I embrace this relationship that really fills me up I'm going to lose it if I um have fun on a Monday I'm going to lose my work and I'm not going to you know we have so many things around it's not safe to feel joyful and I think you know if people really look at the times where they've manifested great things in their lives, I would challenge that it's not when you've been in pain and hard work, but it's been when you've been in that joyful state. Yeah, incredible. And it probably takes a lot of hindsight to, you know, get to that stage, right, and kind of go, oh, it was that thing. So now what we're trying to do is flip the coin the other direction and say I'm going to put joy in front of everything and then just expect it. Everything will open up beautifully. Absolutely, and it does. So there's another quote that I'd like to dive into, which was really lovely. Exploring the dark is hard work. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's hard and messy because it doesn't come with a roadmap. The path is not well lit, perfectly signed and mowed for your walking pleasure. Love that last bit, by the way. (laughs) Because, again, I think it's just a bit of a nod to that thing of you know we often look at spirituality like it's clean like it can be in a hymn book or it can be in the five steps to whatever or there's going to be this path and you just need to all dress the same and channel yourselves through this path and you know I think that's okay when we're only looking for the light but the moment we go into those dark paths and that's what we were talking about before of this is about really meeting yourself, all of the trauma in your body, all of the grief that you've suppressed all your life, all of the, because, you know, we all know these emotions that if we didn't process them at the time, they stay stuck in our body. They haven't gone anywhere. So they're stuck in disease. They're stuck in um, fat. they're They're stuck in just lumps of energy inside of us. And that's really the dark work. And everyone has different things in their cells. So everyone has different trauma in their cells. And so there isn't a one process that we can all follow to look at that. 
we've got to go in there and we've got to find our own way. And yeah, I really believe it's not for the faint hearted. There are days where you will be going, how do I get off this path? Where is that exit door? Um, but then there were, there'll be many, many days where when you've transformed that stuff, you are now leading a life that you never believed was possible. Um, connection, heartfelt, you know, passions, all of those things that you never could access because of the debris of emotional stuff sitting in your body. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And it, I'm just picturing a world where more people did that, right? As hard as that is, because we've both been there plenty of times on the yeah. floor, in the bathroom, yeah. crying or whatever, um, and thinking why. But on the other side, it's always worth it. And I think I, I'm going to keep coming back to this idea because we both have children. You know, the shifts that we make in ourselves are only going to benefit them and, totally. you know, our, their families moving forward if that's, you know, where they so choose to go. Totally. Um, as well yeah I think that's so true like doing you know if you're not motivated to do your own healing for yourself know that everything you feel you heal and feel um affects the generations after you and before you and so that's kind of pretty big motivation but yeah it's not easy work and this is why I think you do need to surround yourself with other people who are doing the same thing you know how often Helen, would I reach out to you and go, what the hell is Chiron doing in Scorpio at the moment? Because there's something going on here. How are you reading the energy at the moment? Or, um, you know, even with uh, another friend, Rachel, who's featured in the book a little bit that, you know, sometimes when I'm in that mode of like, why did I take on journeying into the darkness here? We'll be driving down the street and I'll be going, look, that person doesn't have anything coming up for them. They're not affected by the energy. They're happy. Why can't I be like them? Um, <laughs> But, you know, just a reminder, because when you're stuck in it, you actually feel like you're spiralling and you're worse than you've ever been, but it's not actually the truth. So to have some people around you who you can go, oh, I'm not going to have the same experience as them, but they get this. And, again, that was a little bit of a motivation for the book to go, your journey is going to be completely different to this, but, you know, have a read of some of the crazy stuff that I went through. Yeah, and it's beautiful crazy. Like, it's beautiful crazy. Um, I just feel like we need to say to people, Susan and I are both Scorpios, and I remember years ago, not years ago, who knows, it might have been four or five years ago, but COVID threw a spanner in my timeline. I don't know what happened to it. But you and I were at a conference together and it was a full moon in Scorpio. <laughs> and I, I recall at a table of about eight or ten of us, there is at least five or six Scorpios at yeah. the table, and we were all looking at each other going, why is this conference <laughs> like why are we here this yeah. is such big energy for us to be here it's like no one else in the room well, there obviously were but the you know, other people yeah. in the room it didn't feel like they were being as impacted as strongly yeah. absolutely uh, as what we were yeah. so this brings me to this idea of your inner room because when I have been in you know the depths of all of this it became aware to me of all the work that I was doing energetically was in this room, which is called my inner room. And it actually appeared to me in a, it wasn't really a lucid dream. It wasn't really a meditation. It wasn't really 
a, a shamanic journey. It was something, right? It just appeared. And this idea that all of the work I was doing on myself to heal, to grow, all of it was happening in this space called my inner room. And it was where all that energetic decluttering of all my old stories, clearly there's still a few in there to deal with, you know, all my old patterning, again, there's always more to deal with. But it was in this space yeah. where it's kind of like I was carrying the suitcase but not realising I was carrying it, but at the same time I was energetically decluttering it. And then voila, one day it's kind of there and this is yeah. the realisation that I had. So do you feel like you have something similar or do you, um, does that relate? How yeah. does that feel to you? It does relate. It sort of reminds me too of that thing of the ocean floor being an extreme ocean lover I often think about you know like on a really rough day you've gone for a swim and you're getting completely knocked over by all of the waves but you know at any time when that gets too much you can dive down to the ocean floor and you can be in stillness and you can come back to yourself or a sense of safety there I guess and I think um that's the same in life and that's what I think of as the inner room. It's the place that I can reconnect back to that is always still, always silent, always witnessing, always all loving and there's probably a million other alwayses in there and it's just like a really safe space to do my own work. So, you know, for me, I'd be saying it's the place where I can meet my inner guru and I can have conversations about what I need to be doing or I can just have, um, you know, her slap me around the head a little bit and get <laughs> me on back on path. But it really is that place where I come to, yeah, commune with my own intuition, my own soul, my own gut feel, my own anything. So I think the more we go back to those places, the better because, you know, this is the thing. We are going to be facing waves all the time and this is kind of the difference in where I evolved with spirituality before I wasn't really doing the wave thing I was say for example um reading about relationships as opposed to getting my ass kicked by love so it's, it's a very different form of spirituality I'm now more in that mode of going with the messiness embodying these things which means you're going to be chucked around with chaos all the time so finding that place to go to is really important that's the inner room that's the ocean floor yeah and it's whatever it is for you right like yeah. I I wouldn't I mean I fellow Scorpio love water but I know I don't have that same connection with it yeah. that you have yeah um and I think that you've described beautifully how I feel about my inner room it's this it's I, I kind of say it's all encompassing yet it's really cozy yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. I do have a couple of chairs in there when I first met and went inside my inner room. There were these two armchairs. So, you know, be picture beautiful ones by yeah. fire, but there's no fire, just those beautiful, cosy ones. Yeah. And I remember thinking, why two? Like, yeah. as opposed to yeah. one or four or something. Um, but what I've learned is that because this is my inner room, I can allow whatever. Yeah. I want. So it allows me to invite people in there to sit with them if 
I feel like I need to have a conversation yeah. or I want to get some learning um, yeah. from them so I can energetically bring that person totally. in as well, which, yeah. um, you know, helps heal some of that stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, And, you know, I suppose it just requires, I think, you know, us to get over what is the biggest addiction that we face in our society, which is busyness and busy-mindedness and all the things technology has brought to that because I think as our heads are getting noisier, are getting busier, we're almost losing our connection back to that inner room. And, you know, like if you asked me what my inner room looked like before I jumped on this whole journey of spirituality, I would have said it had the music blaring, it had a 24-hour bar and it had a big library of books, meaning I was distracting myself, I was trying to numb out and just kind of observe what everyone else is doing. But I think, you know, to really be able to access what this voice within is saying and to be able to go into our inner room, we've just got to give up this addiction to busy-mindedness. So that and would be become silent. Yeah. So that would be, do you think like your your first piece of wisdom, if people were to start on the journey, is to say, where can you drop the busy yeah. and where can you get silent? Yeah. Where can you, yeah, get out of your head, get into your heart? Where can you um let your body take the lead more? And to be able to do that, we need to have a quiet head, have a quiet environment to even be hearing some of those signals but the other thing I would say is start making a call to your inner voice a lot more because it's kind of like until you establish the phone connection for example um, it's not going to start talking to you until you become quiet it's not going to start talking to you so the more we can go there the better so I am forever talking to my body sort of like going oh okay you're not feeling good about that, what's going on? Or, you know, um, body, what do you think about this? Intuition, what do you think about this? Um, sometimes I do a visualisation where I imagine myself meeting my inner guru and I actually ask some questions of myself, of my higher self. So that practice um, shows your body that you're willing to start paying attention. Yeah, and in your book you beautifully describe a conversation you had with your shoulder. But, you know, fellow frozen shoulder to you, who that's what you share in the book, yeah. I totally resonated because I think I did something similar around also the seven-month mark, which was when you spoke with your shoulder. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, lots of weird things that you're going to read about in the book. I'm <laughs> speaking to my shoulder, I'm, yeah, doing some crazy things, but there's all, um, yeah, they were all really important parts on the path and it's nice to have kind of been through all that and just be able to let go and go there's nothing else to do, which doesn't mean I'm not going to keep evolving. It doesn't mean I'm going to, um, you know, keep improving myself, but I don't need to keep looking to fix myself or following someone else's rules to do it. Yeah, and I think too what I got from the book is that we can be intelligent we can be highly respected. We can be into our clothes and our hair and our makeup and our shoes. Yeah. We can be into doing weird stuff with our girlfriends at the beach or whatever. Yeah. And we can still be into spirituality. Totally. So and we don't have to yeah. wear the purple jingle jangles. Yeah. 
I'm glad you brought that up, Helen, because that's probably the other important point about the title, Spiritually Loose, and it's about polarity and it's about the alchemy of two um, seemingly opposite concepts that there's actually magic in. So a spiritual life isn't whole without a wild instinctual one. So, and the same that you couldn't have just a wild life and not be grounded in spirituality without going off the tracks as well. So it's kind of about these polarities that we've thought have to be either or, and I'm saying let's be both and. Um, you know, embrace those parts of you because I certainly share yeah, many examples of how I can be really reverent and I can be really irreverent. I can be um, really compassionate and I can be really judgmental and instead of trying to hide those parts actually go they're all just part of me and the more that I'm aware of them the more I'm not going to act out on them yes and I've been having more and more conversations with all those other elements of me and it makes it much easier to accept that that's part of you but what it also does is it makes it easier to accept that they're parts of other people and so you're less well I'm talking me I'm less um judgy perhaps because I go well I can see that in me I might not do it that way but I can see that yeah oh in me so all I can say is it was a really damn good read Susan oh I'm so happy (laughs) thank you so we must um wrap up with inviting people to connect with you um how do they do that and also how do they best get a copy of the book So the book will be in um, stores, both, you know, ebook and physical stores as well, hopefully from next week, the 2nd of August, but, you know, with transportation that tends to be a bit slower in the physical stores at the moment. So you'll be able to get them online at any book retailers. Um, I have some limited copies on my website at the moment that I'm offering as signed um, copies. So my website's susanpierce.com and to... Keep connected through my socials. My socials are actually on the bottom of my homepage. So if you just want to go to the website, susanpierce.com. Okay, fabulous. And I will put all the links to all of those um, in the show notes as well. So people can just, you know, head straight on to, you know, even if it's onto your website, onto the book page, and then, you know, go from there if they can't purchase any because they're all, you know, your hands got so sore signing all of these. (laughs) There has been a lot. It's been good. I love that part. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the combination of so many years of you know heart work. It's just must be a beautiful feeling to get to the end and know that it's now out there. Yeah, it's born. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for firstly sharing your time and, and energy with me, but also for sharing your beautiful words. And you know, I do think is this your first conversation about the book? Yep. Yay. So thank you for allowing me to be that first with you. I really do appreciate it. Don't think of a better one, Helen. Oh, thank you, darling. I'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye.